go. That is uh, Tell It To My Heart by Taylor Dane. It was actually a request, the song. Uh, someone said, always gets my, always gets my, the song rather, always gets me pumped from the moment I wake up. So I thought, well, what song gets you pumped? What song pushes aside the worries and fears and says, Tuesday, I'm ready for you. Come at me with your suggestions and we'll play one tomorrow. You can text me 2101. But that is Taylor Dame, who rose to fame in 1987 after her debut single, that song there, Tell It To My Heart. She also co-wrote Whatever You Want for Tina Turner's 1996 album, Wildest uh, Dreams. Uh, we don't have a huge amount of time for poems, sadly. We are going to, we're going to have to dedicate a few minutes sometime this week. But I want to read out an excerpt, anyway, of Colette's poem, because it was written specifically for International Women's Day. So this is Colette's poem, and it's called Lions in the Jungle. There are lions in the jungle. Damn it, I forgot and have worn my long scarf. If he decides to take hold, I'll be dragged off, degraded beneath quiet trees, left hidden and rotting, barely covered by dirt and dry, dying leaves. There are lions on the plains, and I have no shelter, no keys in my hand to take out an eye. If I run, my knees might become far too weak to strike tender parts. My heart, it is pounding as I look around, just encased. He is there. Dear Christ, I'm so sick of this fear. There are lions on the beach who might just be hiding up there in the long grass, awaiting a deer, one just walking past. He can probably swim way better than I in this wild, churning water, salt in the air. I could, if I must, escape into there, although the undertow could possibly take me before he comes bounding, obsessed with the taking of just one more daughter. Uh, so, mm, thank you uh, for that. Oh, yes, uh, here's the final piece here. For I am a woman, the cat's fearful mouse, the cat's walking, talking, meat on the feet upon which too many sick men crave only to feast. Very creative, isn't it, Moata? There's, um, there's a lot of creativity in poetry. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what to say about no. that. I'm I'm not much of a, of a poetry knowledgeable person. Do you find uh, <laughs> working in the librarian community uh, that that it is popular? Because we talked about it yesterday, and poetry extraordinarily popular. I mean, I guess it definitely has its audience, and yeah. um, any time we have a poetry event at the library, that they, they, they all come out to attend. You know. There's definitely a part of, of the community that has a great love for poetry and enjoys coming to hear it be read. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I appreciate it for the, the language. It's, um, it's a, quite a skill. 24 to 5, the panel, Ella Henry and Moata Tamaira with me today. Now, one of the aspects of the protest has been the high levels of vitriol and misogyny, especially on social media and during the recent protest at Parliament. One protester, for example, shouted out that all we want to do is talk to that silly little girl, referring to Jacinda Ardern. I choose not to focus on what is often a small handful of people, said the Prime Minister last month. But it's not just uh, Jacinda Ardern. Other former women MPs have expressed sexism and misogyny within Parliament. And in the context of International Women's Day, we thought we'd raise the issue. And it was the focus of the New Zealand Herald editorial today, and I'm quoting, the World Health Organization notes gender discrimination is a risk factor in gender-based violence. 
With us to discuss the issue is Dr. Catherine Smith, an Associate Professor in Politics and International Relations at the University of Auckland. Dr. Smith, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace, and happy International Women's Day to you and the panel. Yes, and lovely to have you on. And look, talking about those recent weeks first, the 23 or so days of the protest, and I'm just, I mean, some quite extraordinary things that we heard. Um, Explain how you saw things here. Well, I feel like what we were seeing in the protests with, you know, with the with particularly the comments directed against the Prime Minister is, you know, we're seeing a kind of bubbling undercurrent of um, a really, you know, sexist and really, you know, offensive attitudes that have kind of been there from, you know, the whole time that uh, Jacinda Ardern has been in, you know, in Parliament public life and, and leading the party. And, of course, also, you know, that we've seen in previous years, as you say, you know, with previous Prime Ministers and political leaders, it's kind of always there. It's definitely minority. But, you know, what happened, of course, in the protest is that pretty extreme minority positions got you know a lot of air and um and you know and when that was you know in a way it sort of had a good effect because it makes us realize you know that these views are still out there because you know i think often you know we think i mean things really have improved so much with women yeah. a lot of women in New Zealand parliament 49 percent. that's really terrific it's a great achievement but there are still these attitudes there and it's something like you know the recent protests they bubble up and they're that out there you know in public for us to really you know confront and think about and some of them, Catherine, straight up, were very confronting. Oh, they certainly were. Yeah, they were. They were really deeply offensive. And um, you know, you've really got to admire women in public life, the prime minister, and others who you know can um, you know can um, can can rise above that. You know, because they certainly are very confronting and very offensive. And you know, so there's that. But then there's also, of course, the, at a at a a bit of a, a slightly lower level, the kind of you know more sort of what some people call everyday sexism that comes out against political leaders. And, you know, I think we really need to confront that and realise that's part of the story. We've got this success in electing women to Parliament in New Zealand. It's great. We're proud of it. But there is another part of the story, which is the continuing sexist attitudes that we see in their most extreme form with the protest. Moata, you got any thoughts or questions on this? Yeah, I guess for me... It's not just that, you know, people say these things about uh, women in public, you know, whether they're a politician or, you know, they're in the entertainment industry or whatever. If you're a woman and you have some kind of public profile, then there's always a possibility that you're going to be confronted with a lot of, like, sexist rhetoric. Um, And I guess, for me, it's the consideration that all of that um, has a cost on, on a person, um, on their feelings of confidence and how they feel about themselves. Um, and it's just very tiring. And I think um, I think possibly that's sort of the invisible part of the, you, you know, you see the abuse, but you don't necessarily see the effect that it, it has on, and it's not just one woman, but women across the board. Um, did you have any thoughts on that? Oh, oh, yeah, I really agree. Yeah, it is, you know, it is, it is really confronting. I think it can really affect, obviously, the women against, you know, whom it's directed. But then we've also got to think about, you know, our daughters, about young people. They teach all these fantastic mm-hmm. young students, you know, and they hear that kind of thing. And, you know, you just want to, you really, you know, you just want to stand up and outrage at these kinds of statements and say to, you know, and say to young women, don't listen to this. Don't believe this. <laughs> you know, um, this is, you know, this is, it's really, it's really unacceptable. So, no, I agree. I mean, this, 
speech has got consequences. And, you know, definitely that kind of speech has effects upon, yeah, upon the women who hear it. All of us. Yeah, let's bring Ella, uh, and also Ella, your thoughts around the last or, you know, sort of few weeks on the protests and what you heard. Yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to believe that those those people who use, you know, vile sentiments that are racist and sexist are usually telling us more about themselves and their own pain and their own fear and 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 how we as a society do have a, an obligation to to try and heal them but at the same time i i had visceral reactions to some of the things that I was hearing being said. And I, I mean, I, from time to time, am very critical of, of all government policy, but I, I'm hugely proud of the fact that we've got Jacinda as our Prime Minister and, and that she's weathered all these terrible storms in the last four years. Um, and I worry sometimes because I think she's looking a bit thin and, I, you know, I'd like to think that she's in good health as well because we need strong leadership. Strong communities make strong leaders, and when we have women in leadership roles, we need to support them and make them the best they can be. So, I mean, on the one hand, we've got a lot of broken people protesting publicly about Omicron and vaccination and COVID, but on the other, we've also got a responsibility to call out really bad, really awful behaviour where and when we see it. It's like your your thing, Mawata, you talked about uh, the dick mask, you know. I mean, at what point do we take responsibility for the badness around us, the sadness and the madness? Yes. Catherine? Oh, yes, I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, this is out there in the community. And, and I think, it, like I said, it does need to be acknowledged as part of the story that women have come a long way in New Zealand and we have achieved a lot in political life as well. But these ideas are still out there and they're unacceptable and they, they really do have an effect. You know, um, there's often a lot of controversy about hate speech and responding to hate speech. But, um, but, you know, standing up and calling it out and saying this is unacceapable, I mean, that's just... That's, you know, reasserting our right and women's rights to be part of the conversation. Here's one. This is Paul from Albertown. Uh, thank you for airing the misogyny issues in New Zealand. This has certainly made it very confrontational when I've had to visit my clients in the Deep South. The rhetoric throughout the pandemic has had a profound effect on me as a male in a fairly male dominated workspace. Um, so that's echoing uh, a, a, a few texts uh, and emails on this, uh, Dr. Smith. Let me ask you this, and this is what Jesse, too, a journalist with Women's Agenda said, or asks rather, has lockdown worsened misogyny? Well, it's certainly worsened the condition, the situation for a lot of women. I think that's really true, yeah. you know, because, I mean, we're probably all familiar with this. You know, women take more responsibility for, you know, helping with the kids, managing things, the old dual shift idea. So there's certainly that. Um, when it comes to, um, when it comes to worsening, that's a good question. Has it worsened misogyny? I mean, in some ways, maybe yes. I mean, I certainly think that the, um, that, the crit criticism attached to the that's been directed at the Prime Minister, that's certainly got a great deal worse. And that's partly, you know, a big part of the whole pandemic side of things. There's that. Um, and, you know, lockdown has really, um, I think, sort of brought out some of the, um, the conflicts in New Zealand society. You know, we started off pretty united, but then sort of conflicts re-emerge. And those conflicts are often around not only gender, of course, but also race, you know, and ethnicity. And those things have sort of gotten worse, and there's more attention being paid to them. I think probably that's what I'd conclude. Not necessarily worse than misogyny, but there's been more public expression yeah. of, you know, of criticism. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Smith. Kia ora.
That is uh, Dr. Catherine Zosia, an associate professor in politics and international relations at uh, Auckland University. It's 16 to 5, the panel, uh, NZ National. Now, what do you do when home loans are harder to get? Very different issue here. But the amounts that are being approved do not keep pace. If you were approved for $1 million a few months ago, would you still be? It's about these new lending rules designed to protect people from getting in over their heads with debt. And then you have these uh, tougher rules around loan-to-value ratios. With us to discuss this is Rupert Goff. He's the Mortgage Lab Chief Executive. Rupert, hello. G'day, how's it going? Good. Before we get into that, CVs out today. Uh, so everyone who <laughs> does have a house will be excitedly looking up and to see uh, how they've changed. What do they really mean? Because they've become a very poor indicator of house prices, haven't they? Well, they get out of date pretty quickly, especially in the past few years. But I mean, what what they've really done is run an electronic valuation on on your house at some point and associated a value with that. It's really a way to um, you know control your rates or give a price into your rates. So uh, I agree. I think the general pub public uh, doesn't view the council valuation as as much of an indicator at all once it's passed about a week week old or so. Yeah. Okay. I want to get to the number of issue here. I was talking to someone uh, about uh, they got a pre-approval, or they got an approval rather, in December um, for a certain amount and really worried because the building might go beyond the time allotted and will have to reapply for the loan. So saying you've got a first home buyer who was approved for $1 million several months ago, now only qualifying for loans of, say, Seven hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars. You see that sort of thing going on. Yeah, we're seeing that a lot, and and oh. the reason is is that uh, in the oldie days before December last year, uh, the banks could use could forecast what your expenses were going to be once you owned a house, and under the new rules, they they've had really to look at your current expenses. Which, which you know, are higher if you're renting. You might have a bit more uh, Uber Eats or, or whatever, and that is affecting people's ability to borrow. Mawata, let's bring in you in. Have you applied for a loan recently, and you found that your Netflix subscription, your Uber Eats, uh, 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 that lovely bar on Otatahi that you frequent a little too often, has been raised by the bank manager? Um, which bar is that? I don't go anywhere anymore. <laughs> um, uh, well, I'm in the situation of already having a mortgage. Uh, uh-huh. So, but I mean, God forbid, God yeah. forbid that I should want to buy a house now. Um, they'd probably look at our like once a week takeaways and go, mm, I'm not sure about that. And then, uh, look, I understand that banks have to take reasonable precautions to make sure that the money that they're lending to people, uh, that they're able to pay it back because otherwise you end up with the global financial crisis. But (laughs) the the fact of the matter is is that houses cost so much money now and somebody on an average income can't afford an average house. So this just makes it extra, extra hard for people. I, I just don't see how this is just sustainable like the price of houses just needs to drop. I'm saying it. I mean, I know that that's unpopular because people who own houses don't want to lose value in their house. But I own what one. What are we talking? Like, this is crazy. 
what are we talking? What are we talking, Moata? You've got a house. You you can't seriously tell me on uh, RNZ that like, you'd like to, as a homeowner, see your house drop by fifteen percent in value. I, I don't know numbers. No, you <laughs> maybe they, they probably wouldn't be good for me, but I just don't see how. Let's bring let's bring in Dr. Henry and uh, Rupert. Stay there. Let's bring Ella in. I think it's interesting. We talked earlier about, you know, the Commerce Commission and, and profiteering going on and their very much lack of, of exercising the, what, what power they have to make changes there. But on the other hand, we've got uh, really, I think, some government policy, which banks are sticking to rigorously, that is, in fact, impacting on the most impoverished and the most vulnerable. So what's going on here with policy that, on the one hand, is protecting, you know, the large um, monopolies and, on the other, is actually taking away protections from our most um, needy of houses? Mm. I think that there's a mismatch in policy that somebody somewhere should be uh, doing something about. Okay, so Rupert, final words then. Give us some gold-plated advice for those who are looking to get a loan. I know there's some really great advice that we all need to listen to, and it's right now. Some gems. So uh, the thing is, is that the, the policies haven't actually changed. It's what they, how they look at your application. Yes. So if you limit your spending to a reasonable limit, you don't have to eat two-minute noodles, a reasonable limit, you will actually be back at what you could afford prior to December. So okay. for three months, spend wisely, and you will be back. Let's make it a hundred days for safety. Right. You don't you don't go to that little special bar in Otatahi, that Moata frequency. You don't um, you don't eat too many takeaways. You try and limit just limit your extra spending. Yeah, for a hundred yeah. days. Yeah. Very good, beautiful. Uh, Rupert Kiora, that is uh, the Mortgage Lab Chief Executive Rupert Goff. There, ten to five. The panel uh, in Z National, Moata Tamaira and uh, Dr. Ella Henry with me uh, this afternoon. Now, when it comes to driving, there are a lot of stereotypes out. I mean, a plethora. I mean, where, where do you start? Including that women can't drive as well as men. In fact, a survey from Jaguar has found that a thousand New Zealanders surveyed 55% still believe that men are better drivers than women. So we thought we'd get on one of the best, a motorsport driver, Emma Gilmore, who drives for none other than McLaren during the Extreme E-Series 2022. Emma, lovely to have you on the panel. Thanks for having me. Uh, by the way, you became the first woman to win a round of the New Zealand Rally Championship. Lovely to have you on. And can I say, <laughs> as a McLaren fan, it must have been a massive honor. I can always just bear with me. So the Michael Schumacher documentary, he was in Ferrari. He looked across at McLaren and he used to get really annoyed because Michael Schumacher wondered why McLaren cars could go so fast. Yeah, it's an amazing company to be part of. It's just, I, I still pinch myself when I'm in there, um, you know, being part of the team. It's just, it's surreal to, to be their first female driver. I, uh, yeah, I'm very, very proud. Yeah. So you're doing the EV series, which comes back to the, uh, the actual theme of International Women's Day. Um, but in terms of that stereotyping, what do you make of that? <laughs> I, I just think it's sad that it's something we're still talking about, you know? I mean, 
um, you know, w- women have proved more than capable. You know, I know women, um, you know, fuel tank drivers, and you know, like we're 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 equals. You know, the fact that it it still comes up as as statistics as uh, in a survey is is you know, it's it's kind of disappointing. It's like, come on, we 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 can move on from this. But but coming back to it, I mean, I think. I think we all need to drive better, you know, gender yeah. irrelevance, you know, if, if we could make the men um, have as, you know, the same uh, percentage of accidents as women, then, you know, we'd already be on to a winner with the, with the road toll, <laughs> wouldn't we? So we need, we need the men to improve their game. <laughs> uh, Ella, Ella Henry. I could not agree with you more, my dear. Um, you know, on the basis of, what is it, 50% of accidents that lead to mortality, somebody's drunk, so we've made it illegal to drink and drive. 64% of them are men. Why do we need make it illegal for men to drive? I mean, on the basis of those kinds of statistics. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, 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 now. Yeah. No, no, no. fighting words, fighting words. <laughs> Emma? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, imagine it. Imagine if we if we if we did that. I mean, yeah, I mean, tongue in cheek, of course. But uh, you know, I I think uh, you know, women definitely um, are more careful and and I think more considerate, which you know, it leads to the different statistics. So uh, yeah, the men, men could take a leaf out of that book. <laughs> Moata, time out. What do you reckon? Um, well, I I can't drive, so a hundred percent of male drivers are better than me. But that's not really indicative of anything. Um, I'm, I have questions about the survey. What, what, what were they asking these people? I mean, I'm assuming that if Jaguar are doing a, a survey about driving, then they're surveying people who maybe already own or would like to own Jaguars. And maybe that's the issue. <laughs> maybe it's a, a section of the demographic that um, have some attitude problems. Um, so it's Jaguar. Really so it's more, ja- yeah, it's more Jaguar related. You're saying. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm just, I'm just feeling safe and, and slagging off Jag drivers. Yeah, all right. Hey, now, um, <laughs> keep going. I, I like that they said that um, women are more interested in style, color, and aesthetics in a car, new car compared to performance. Well, I mean, when we got our household car that I don't drive, I wasn't at all interested in what it looked like. I'm like, what? You know, how much petrol is it going to use? What is the safety rating on it? You know, we're driving our child around in it. Mm. You know, like I don't, I could care less what colour it is. Yeah. Just, does it? What's the fuel consumption like? That stuff's expensive. Totally. <laughs> Actually, Emma, I'd lo- I'd I'd love to know uh, what what drew you to motorsport. Uh, I love driving. Uh, you know, mm. I grew up. Um, me and my sister, uh, dad's a mechanic, and mum and dad always drove very well, and so passengers in the car we always enjoyed you know whizzing around the corners and, and probably going quite quickly so I, I just I, I love the, the thrill of going fast and I love the, the thrill of um, having a car especially in rallying where you have a road to yourself and and basically you, you drive as fast as you can so um, yeah I've, I've just always always loved cars and I, I love the excitement and the, and the thrill of driving them. And just briefly on this particular series, people wanting to know what is this series about. It's the EV series. So that's that's showcasing electric vehicles in motorsport. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing series. It's, it's trying to do something that, you know, no other sport's really done. They're, they're, they're tackling um, gender equality. So, you know, every team has a male and female driver. They're using fully electric off-road vehicles. And then we're going to these remote corners of the planet that are, um, you know, highlighting and putting a spotlight on what's happening there with environmental damage and um, climate change. So they're trying to, you know, share a really important message about how we can be racing sustainably, um, but also, you know, um, tackling things like equality and diversity. 
Sunday. So um, very exciting. I have one more question to ask because I'm a bit of a closet fan of, uh, you know, like Moata, I can't drive. So here I am, but I'm a bit of a closet fan of uh, motor racing. Um, <laughs> driving a McLaren, uh, some of these cars, needless to say, extraordinarily fast. Is it a bit fear-inducing getting into that seat, putting your hands on the wheel and off you go? makes the series really challenging so so it's kind of like a one make series so all the vehicles are electric and, and they are really really quick cars you know you're doing like 150 160 kilometers an hour over terrain that's not really designed to be raced over that fast so um it's actually the terrain that makes you it quite nerve-wracking because you're not sure what exactly is going to come up in the in the lap and you and you don't do a lot of um practice beforehand but um to, as part of the environmental thing we don't do a lot of practice so uh yeah it makes it pretty uh that the heart's pounding on the start line, not knowing what you're in for, that's for sure. <laughs> Lovely to have you on the program, Emma Cura, and all the very best for your oh, your career at McLaren. Wow. Thank you very much. <laughs> nice one. That is a motorsport driver, Emma Gilmore, who uh, drives for uh, McLaren Extreme E-Series 2022. Emma became the first woman to win a round of uh, the New Zealand Rally Championship. So you don't drive Moata. What about you, uh, Ella? Are you a driver yourself? Uh, yeah, well, I've been mm. driving for 54 years yeah. or something. My dad was a mechanic too, and by the oh. time I was six, I could tell the difference between a half inch and a five-eighth. So, you know, that was a really, it's been a really useful skill as I've progressed through my life. Yeah, yeah. Coming up to the end of the program, let's have a little wee, a small K. This is K's poem. It's called The Barbecue. Coals glow in the soft evening light. Pale flames licking sausages and steak impart that flavour slightly charred. Spread well tomato sauce and then drink deep. Rough red wine, the feast enhancing. I sit aside and watch the moths that circle to incinerate. No moth am I. I will not self-destruct. There you go. The barbecue by Kay. Happy International Women's Day. Mwata Tamara, Ella Henry, kia ora to you both. You've been wonderful. Kia ora, kia ora. Thanks for being with us. Cheers, I'm Wallace Chapman. I am back tomorrow, 3.45, Wednesday. Dear panel, get your letters in. See you tomorrow. <laughs>